I have an interesting title for my sermon this morning. The title of my sermon this morning is The Lost Art of Catholicity. The Lost Art of Catholicity. What is the lost art of Catholicity? Well, I'm not talking about Rome. No, Catholicity is greater than Rome. Catholicity is a kingdom not of this world. Catholicity is the universal church, the church in all times and the church in all places. A Catholic is one who has been raised with Christ, who then seeks the things above where Christ is and not the things on the earth. The Catholic is one who sets his mind on things above and not on the things on the earth. The lost art of Catholicity is holiness. Holiness. It is the art of being different, distinct, other, and unidentifying with the world. In 1 Samuel 8, 1 Samuel 8 is a warning to be different. It is a warning to be otherworldly. And so the Bible commands the Christian, put to death what is earthly in you. The Bible commands us to put to death what is earthly in us. And God warned Israel to put that to death as well. He warned Israel to be otherworldly or else. Because following the world has consequences. Grave consequences. And God was warning Israel to be otherworldly. And so this morning I want us to find this otherworldliness. And I want us to recover the lost art of Catholicity. It begins with our text, chapter 8, verse 1. When Samuel became old. Old means he's nearing the end of his long faithful ministry. And he wanted to appoint successors. It was a reasonable thing to appoint a future. So he made his sons Judges over Israel. This, we call this nepotism, right? Nepotism is the practice of those in power giving positions of power to their offspring, to their children. Nepotism is quite biblical. And I don't mean biblical in the sense that God's word commands it, but biblical in the sense that many do it in the Bible. And it often turns out poor, as it does here. It hardly goes well with this, nepotism hardly goes well with God's people. Verse 3, or verse 2, the name of the firstborn was Joel, the name of the second, Abijah. They were judges. Verse 3, yet his sons did not walk in his ways. Sons of the preacher man don't always walk in the ways of their father. And we've seen that already in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, there are four judges who practice nepotism. There are four judges who give their sons positions of power. And three out of four turn out rotten. Gideon's son was rotten. Eli's sons were rotten, as we've seen. 
And Samuel's sons are rotten. There's only one son that does well, and that's Jer, but only for one generation. What's going on with all of these godly men raising terrible sons? And it's not only just biblical history that gives us nepotism and terrible sons, but it's Christian history. Did you know some of our greatest heroes in the faith raised heretics for sons? It's amazing. What's going on with these godly men to raise such ungodly offspring? Perhaps there's a warning here to raise our children to walk after God's ways. Perhaps holiness, the lost art of Catholicity, begins in the home. Perhaps holiness begins in the home. You see, we learned last week that repentance is active. Repentance is the act of putting off ungodliness and putting on godliness. But Samuel's sons were anti-repentance. Look at Samuel's sons. They're anti-repentance. They put off. They turned aside for gain. They put off godliness by taking bribes bribes and perverted justice. They're anti-sanctification. This is anti-sanctification. This is the opposite of living for the Lord. This is of the world. This is the ways of the world, is it not? The way of the world to put off God and put on the world's ways and the world's sins. Now, what could have Samuel have done to raise such sinners? What I'm about to do with the text shouldn't really be done. I'm about to go off Bible. I'm about to speculate. We don't do that with Bible, but I have to do, I have to ask the question, why are so many godly men raising ungodly children? And perhaps it's because they spent too much time in prayer, too much time in God's word, too much time in the church, and not enough time in their family. You know, if you love your pastor's sermons, and if your pastor always has time for you, you can bet he's spending a lot of time away from his family. And I'm preaching to myself. I mean, as I was writing the sermon, I had to put my pen down and I took my kids sledding. <laughs> I had to go spend time with my boys and my family. But I'm preaching to all of us. Otherworldliness begins in the home. Our homes need to be filled with both parents. And both parents need to be filling our homes with the law and the gospel. Now, we have to correct our children's behavior with punishment. And the kids should be all nodding along. Yes, we need punishment. <laughs> but the Christian home needs to go beyond just mere behavioral, fixing behavior. The Christian home has to go to the heart of the matter, right? And so the Christian home needs to raise the kids on the law. We need to show them their sins and miseries. We need to break the hearts of our little ones with God's law. We need to break their hearts that they would know their sins and misery, that they would confess their sins and misery. It is to you and against you, O Lord, I have sinned and done what is wrong and evil in your sight. Your children need to know that. They need to know that their sins grieve God and they need to grieve over their own sins. And only then can you mend their hearts with the gospel and show them how God has forgiven their sins and, and loves them and takes care of them. So they need to know the, the law and the gospel. They need to be instructed in the way. A Catholic home is catechetical. A Catholic home is catechetical. We need to be instructing our children. We must raise our children with heaven's word. 
But again, that's I kind of went off text there, but we get let's get back to the text. Back to the text, verse four. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. Now these elders are gathering together in Israel because they didn't want to go backwards. They had bad judges before. They suffered under Eli and his sons. They suffered under a poor ministry. They didn't want that again. We can recognize their gathering, right? And calling out for, well, I don't want to go back there. I don't want a bad ministry. Who wants a bad ministry? And they said to him, verse 5, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. That's true. And so they asked for a new form of government. Now appoint for us a king. The existing form of government was failing, and now they're proposing an alternative form of government. Give us a king. They wanted a monarchy. Give us a king. Monarchy. Now, our monarchies, monarchies are worldly, because listen, look at the text. It says, uh, now appoint, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So monarchies were quite worldly back then. That is, that was the practice of the world. Monarchies. But monarchy in Israel was also biblical. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy. This is an important text for us this morning to uh, further understand uh, our text. Deuteronomy chapter 17. And keep your finger here. We'll be back to Samuel in a moment, but Deuteronomy 17. We're going to look at verses 14 and 20. Deuteronomy 17, 14 and 20. Deuteronomy says, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you and you possess it and dwell in it, and then and then you say, or then it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. So the Lord allows for a king, and if monarchy is biblical. Why does Samuel get so upset? Because in our text, Samuel gets quite upset with Israel wanting a king. It says, verse 6, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Why is why is Samuel so upset? And it appears he's justified in being upset. Verse seven. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me. So Samuel's anger is justified. According to the text, Israel was rejecting the Lord. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. How was asking for a king a rejection of God as their king. I mean, isn't God king of kings? Isn't he the king maker? And isn't it it providentially true that those whom God sets as king are his king and therefore obedience to that king is really obedience to God as king? Yes. And so the New Testament calls Christians to obey in honor. Joe Biden. There goes pastor going off Bible again. 
Is Joe Biden the president of the United States? Yes. And does God require obedience? Now, isn't God the kingmaker? You believe in the sovereignty of God? And we say, yes, we believe in the sovereignty of God. We're reformed. Sovereignty of God. Reformed. Yes. Well, listen to Romans 13.2. Romans 13.2 writes, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Do you hear that? Whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed. Joe Biden is God's president. Even in a democracy, God is the one who places and makes presidents. Joe Biden's God's president. He's God's servant, as it says in Romans 13. And Paul says, honor, honor is owed. Honor is owed. And Romans goes on to say, and those who resist will incur judgment. Honor is owed. We owe Biden honor. And here's our worldliness. We politicize Christianity. We politicize Christianity. Think of social media. Is there anything in the world more worldly than social media? I don't think there's a more worldly place in all the earth than social media. Do we on social media, do people on social media Dishonor the emperor. Yes. Should Christians dishonor the emperor on social media? Now, I'm not saying that Christians can't attack policy, ideas. As a Christian, ideas, policy, you know, it's open, you know, it's open range. The range is hot. Take them out. You know, you can, you can fight for truth. And for policy and ideas matter and fight for ideas. But persons, persons, people, it's a different story. If you have your Trinity Psalter hymnal, turn with me to page 891 in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Because I want us to be reformed for a moment. This is a covenant reformed church. Reformed church, page 891 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. 891. I want to look at Lord's Day 38, I believe. Uh, or Yeah, Lord's Day, what is it? Uh, I want to look at question, one, so that's Lord's Day 40. Question 105, Heidelberg 105. Heidelberg 105, question 105 asks, what is God's will for you in the sixth commandment? Do you remember the sixth commandment? Do not, what does the sixth teach us? Do not murder, right? Do not murder. And what is God's will for us in the Sixth Commandment? Because there's more than the Sixth Commandment than just murdering. And the Heidelberg is clear. What is God's will for you in the Sixth Commandment? That I am, that I am not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill. I am not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill. Not by my thoughts, my words, my looks, my gestures, my means. <laughs> In the comment thread and so forth. Heidelberg goes on to say, look at question 107. Is it enough then that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? Yes, we should not murder, but there's more. No, by condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Here it is to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, friendly, 
to protect them from harm as much as we can and to do good even to our enemies. That's otherworldly right there, is it not? You see, friends, we belong to a kingdom of compassion. We belong to a kingdom of compassion where love binds everything together in perfect harmony. That sounds very otherworldly. We must live that now. So no matter how much you hate someone's policy, ask yourself, next time you see that meme and you're about to repost that meme, ask yourself, does that meme attack person? Is that meme attacking someone's personhood? Is that insulting someone? Is that hating on someone? Does it violate the sixth commandment? And if it does, then be distinct. Don't post it. Recover the lost art of holiness. And distinction is key in our text. Samuel wasn't against monarchy. He was anti-worldliness. The elders were putting off the Lord by putting on the world. They wanted, it says, to be like the nations. They wanted to be like the nations. They didn't want to put off being God's special people. They didn't, they wanted to be, they didn't want to be different. Look at uh, Leviticus, uh, if you have your Bibles or follow along. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. Leviticus 20, 26. This is really the, uh, the commission statement for Israel. Leviticus 20, 26. This is who Israel is supposed to be in the land. Leviticus 20, 26. It says, you, this is for Israel, you shall be holy to me. You can literally put in there, you shall be different because you belong to me. You shall be holy to me for I, the Lord, am holy. The God's different, right? And here it is. And I have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. The Lord has separated Israel, but here they want to be like the nations. And monarchy was okay, because according to Deuteronomy, I'm back in Deuteronomy now, Deuteronomy 17, according to Deuteronomy 17, monarchy is okay, but it was to be a different kind of monarchy. He says, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. It says he must be a brother. He must be a fellow Israelite. He cannot be a foreigner. It says he must not acquire many horses for himself. He shall not acquire many wives for himself. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And he is supposed to be a soul of scripture, a man. And he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. And he shall fear the Lord by keeping the words of the Torah. He is to be a soul of scripture, a man following God's word. So they were to have a king, or they are allowed to have a king, but a different kind of king, not a king like the nations. Because when you are holy, you are set apart from the world. And so Israel was to be distinct. They're to be different and unlike the nations. But yet they want to be like the nations, the text says. Give us a king, give us a monarchy, monarchy, Let us be like the nations. So the request for monarchy is not the problem. The request is that phrase, like the nations. They rejected God by rejecting his word. They rejected God by finding their only comfort in life and in death in the nations. 
And they were not merely putting off Samuel for Yahweh. They were putting off Yahweh for the world. And this idolatry plagued Israel from the beginning, as he says here, verse 8. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. And that's just the history of Israel. The history of Israel is here, forsaking God and serving other gods. And we've seen that history, we've seen that history already in the book of Samuel. We're only eight chapters in. Remember in chapter 6, when the Philistines marched out against Israel to take them out, and Israel became deathly afraid, and then, then Israel went to find its hope in what God's furniture, right? We're going to take the ark, and if we take that ark with us, if we have God's furniture, we'll have his power. They're, putting their, they're placing their hope in superstition and magic. They weren't putting their hope and trust in God's word. They weren't repenting of their sins and, and looking to their only hope and in life and in death in God to care for them and provide them and turning in prayer. No, they turn, they turn to magic. And here now they're doing the same. They're putting off God by putting on politics. They're turning to politics. Do we ever put on politics <laughs> in the church? That's an easy, easy question. It's an easy answer. American religion is highly political. American religion is highly political. Political. But I want us to be better than that. I want us to be otherworldly. So stop being so political. Now, I'm not saying let's be anarchists. <laughs> I'm not saying let's turn a blind eye. No. But what I'm saying is, let's not make everything political. There are other truths in the world. Beautiful truths. Perhaps even more important truths. Let's seek other things. Like instead of turning masks into political grandstanding, let us be concerned for the person behind the mask. Maybe we should be more concerned for the person behind the mask. Maybe we should love people more than politics. And it's okay if you want to be a social justice warrior. But perhaps you want to be better than that. Perhaps you want to be Catholic, otherworldly. Let's be otherworldly. Let's care for people. Now, Israel trusted in furniture to save them. Do we have the same thing? Yes, our furniture is methods. We love methods. Even religious methods. Our furniture and our other ways are, well, I'll try harder. I'll do more. So we turn to our story more than God's story. My story. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do more rather than God's story, who is my righteousness. So we love our works more than God's works. And we turn the law. That's our furniture. Our furniture is we turn the law into the gospel. And even today, one of the greatest ways we put off God is time. Sorry, I'm just picking on everything today. How much time do you spend on Facebook and Instagram compared to time in prayer? <laughs> You're so nasty, Pastor, <laughs> being so mean this morning. But truly, how much time do you spend on Instagram and Facebook compared to time in prayer with the Lord? And see, time takes discipline. And that's really what we lack in our, in our world today as Christians, is, is our Christian disciplines. 
We have to be disciplined for the Lord. And discipline is hard. You see, we like instant. Instant's easy, and we like instant, right? Instant bank loans, instant meals, you know, instant whatever. We got instant everywhere, and we want instant religion. And discipline's hard. And discipline takes time, and you need patience, you need hard work. But that's really where we need to be, is disciplined people. Discipline. We need discipline, like matins and vespers. Sounds very Catholic. It is. Morning and evening prayer. It's a good way to start your day. Begin the morning putting on the Lord, right, in prayer. End the day putting on the Lord in prayer. Putting off the world in prayer. Putting off the world in prayer before the Lord. It's very Catholic. And it's the otherworldly lifestyle of the psalmist. The psalmist says, I will declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Morning and evening prayer is a lost art. The lost, this is the lost art of Catholicity. It's holiness. Here's where we can begin to lead that holy life. Morning and evening prayer. Let's recover it. It's easy, but it will take discipline. We have to get up a little early. You can't forget at night before you go to bed. Let's do it. It's good. Verse 9, now then obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the waves of the king who shall reign over them. So God now condescends to their request, but he's going to warn them. So the Lord warns them in verses uh, 10 through 17. And in these verses, he warns them that the kings of the nation will be oppressive. The kings of the nation will be takers. And he uses the verb take six times in this text. He says, verse 11, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take. He will take your sons and daughters. He will appoint them. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, the best of your vineyards, your olive orchards, give them to servants. He will take a tenth of your grain. He'll take a tenth of your harvest, give it to his officers. He will take your male servants, your female servants, your young men, your donkeys. He'll take your livelihood and put it to work for himself. He will take the tenth of your flocks, your produce. He will take and you shall be slaves. He will take so much that you will become slaves. And he says, and you're, you're going to cry out to me. Verse 18. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. You will cry out to me just like you did in the days of Egypt. Yet this time, says the Lord, I'm not going to listen. Verse 18. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. That's a warning. A strong warning. And the warning is this. Don't be like the world. Don't be like the world because God just might give it to you. We know here the Israelites refused to obey. They said, no, verse 20, we want to be like the nations. We may also be like the nations. Make us a king to judge over us, fight our battles. And then Samuel heard these words. He repeated them to the Lord in verse 22. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice, make them a king, Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. You see, Israel wanted to be like the nations. And they were kind of consumed with it. 
They wanted to be like the world. And so sadly, this is the truth in the church today, is it not? And the more worldly the church has sought to be, the more worldly we have become. God has let the church become worldly. And so today, marriages, Christian marriages, suffer as poorly as the world's marriages. Christian chastity, you know, purity, Christian purity suffers as much as the world's purity suffers. And understanding of God's word suffers today as much as understanding. And, and we're, we're losing sight of Christian truth that gives us a Christian mind, that gives us godly living. We're losing sight of the historic, historic Christian church. Catholicity is no more. And we need to recover it. You see, being reformed isn't just about, hey, we love doctrine, right? And no one can say, hey, those reformed types, they are like so doctrinaire. They love doctrine. And we love that about the reformed faith, right? We dot our I's, we cross our T's. But being reformed isn't just the mind. But we have, a, we have to have a reformed life. And that life is purity. That life is holiness. There's a certain piety we Christians, reformed Christians must have. And that's the lost art of Catholic. We must be holy. We need to be set apart. We need to be distinct. We need to be different. And how do we recover it? We're reformed. Christ. Christ is the lost art of Catholicity. You see, we need to fall more and more in love with our Savior. We need to know our Savior and what he has given us. That will cause us to want to live lives not of this world. When we see the love of Christ, the love that Christ has for us, how he has given his life for us, this will cause us to be not of this world. When we put on Christ, when we place our hope in a king, and Jesus is the king unlike the nations. He is the king of Deuteronomy 17. He didn't seek ill-gotten gain. No, he refused, right? He lowered himself. He forsook glory, became a servant. He forsook glory, became a servant. He did not come to be served, but to serve, give his life a ransom for many. He came to serve and he was obedient Following God's word, a sola scriptura man, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that he might make us sons and daughters of the kingdom, not of this world. When we, are, when we believe and we put on Christ, when we put on Christ, we place our hope in this king of kings. And we put on Christ and we know, and you should know that your sins are forgiven the moment you believe. And you put on Christ and you know you have been raised We've been raised with Christ, raised out of this world, raised out of our sins and misery. So we no longer belong to the sinful world. We no longer belong to our own sins, for we are the righteousness of God. We no longer belong to death. Oh, death, where is your victory? No, we are more than conquerors. We are clothed in the age to come. That age that is coming is now ours. We belong to a kingdom not of this world. And it needs to be a kingdom of grace and mercy. And a kingdom where we're different. Where we are transformed. 
transformed by the gospel. He's the gospel not only redeems the Christian, the gospel is renewing Christian. It is renewing grace where we become more and more holy. You see, friends, you are a you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his light. So we belong to Christ. And his spirit is now leading us. And it's leading us to glory. So let us live in light of that glory today. And so let us seek the things above and not the things on earth. Let's be different. Let's be Catholic. And so therefore, let us love one another. And then, and then do the most unworldly thing imaginable. Let us love our enemies too. And then finally, you might ask, but pastor, how do I love my enemies? And again, Christ, follow Christ who loved us and gave him, gave his life for us even while we were still sinners. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.